Hello and welcome back to Casting Nets Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Will Harley. I'm here with Don Winsberger, and we are happy to have you join us today. Today we get to uh, talk about a topic as we return our discussion to the unaltered Augsburg Confession. We get to talk about the sacraments today, and I am excited to talk about the sacraments because this is something that I think uh, both Don and myself are are passionate about, um, as good Lutherans should be passionate about the sacraments, and so uh, we have an opportunity to do that. But before we get there, I think what we should we should say is, uh, um, and maybe especially today, uh, that that what we are sharing are the views and opinions of. The, the the Augsburg Confession, and, and therefore, um, if you don't believe them, you're not Lutheran. Or wait, that's not what we want to say. We want to say, um, I'm sorry, we want to say that that the views and opinions that we are sharing are our views and opinions and don't always um, uh, reflect the views and opinions, although they should, of all of our called bodies and uh, of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, of which we are a part. And so as we, we go forward, if you get offended by something that we say, we highly encourage um, that you would talk with us so that uh, we have an opportunity to open up the scriptures, sit down with you, open up our confessions, and have a good conversation with you um, as, as we have opportunity to share the grace that comes through these means of grace, the sacraments. And so without further ado... Uh, we will have some some introduction music to lead us into our conversation, and I'm going to turn it over then to Don to, to get us started. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your co-host, Pastor Don Wimsberger from uh, the wonderful warm plains of South Dakota, the northern Lord, northern appendix of the Nebraska district. I would like to share with you today my favorite Luther quote, which goes like this. I would rather cannibalize with the Pope than commune with the Reformed. With that being said, I'll set that into a little bit of modern day of a modern day setting. Uh, I really irritated a Bible class attender a few years ago with this statement who was a former Roman Catholic. And I kind of paraphrased uh, Luther's words with this, that I said that, I said that uh, uh, this person asked me, Pastor, if you couldn't be a Lutheran, where would you go to church? And I said, I'd be Catholic. And he said, how can you say that, Pastor? That is just terrible. And he, and he goes, and I said, well, where else would I go? And he said, well, you'd go to, you could go to a Baptist church, or you, could go to, uh, or you could go to a Reformed or to a non-denominational. And I said, they're just closet Catholics. I said, Catholics are at least honest about their lie. And uh, uh, that infuriated him even more. And I said, well, I said, you have an appreciation for Martin Luther, don't you? And he said, of course. And I said, Luther was the first one who brought this up. No, he didn't. And I said, yes, he did. Luther said, I would rather cannibalize with the Pope than commune with the Reformed. And so on that note, we get to talk about really what is is not only the gift the whole, one of the another one of the hallmarks of the Lutheran Church and and the Christian Church um, these things are so essential these are things so important and yes this is what sets us re- apart from the rest of Christianity this these are the sacraments well with that introduction um, we do talk about the sacraments for those who are wondering what the sacraments are um, the the Lutheran Church the confessions um, pretty much uphold uh, two um, confessions or, or I should say two sacraments that that are one detailed with they have a real presence so in other words there is there is a, a physical element and then there is also commanded by Christ and uh, instituted for the forgiveness of sins. And so the the two that are encapsulated into this is baptism and uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, A lot of people will call it communion as well, um, which was celebrated on the very last night before he was betrayed uh, when he took bread, gave thanks, gave it to him, said, this is my body. And then after supper, took the cup and said, this is my blood. 
um, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so those are the two sacraments. So we have baptism, water, and word. Um, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and then the Lord's Supper and communion. Yes. It's, uh, you know, one of the things maybe to, 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 to look at right here, I just happened to, as so I've got my books open out here in front of me and as we've been preparing for uh for this part of the augsburg confession today is it's important for us to note there are really three viewpoints on the sacraments okay you have the catholic point of view you have the you have the lutheran point of view which would be in the middle you have the reform part view which would be on the on the far left um the differences would be this. Roman Catholicism says there's seven sacraments. Um, they had five extra. And uh, uh, we won't talk about what the five extra are today, but they do call uh, baptism and Holy Communion um, sacraments. Uh, baptism, uh, they, baptism Catholics are pretty orthodox on, except if my memory serves me correctly, Catholics say that... Uh, Baptism only forgives original sin. Yes. The sin that and one is born that's with. It. Uh, uh, and, and then when it comes to Holy Communion, they say more than what Scripture says. They make it a sacrifice. They say that the bread turns into Christ's body. The wine turns into his blood. Um, and they say that when the priest does that, he is re-sacrificing Christ's body and blood. And so, and so it's really a sacrifice and not a, it's something that we do for God, not what God does for us. Uh, the Lutherans, we teach, we teach that, baptiz, um, that, ba bap that baptism is a sacrament. It forgives sins. It's instituted by Christ. Um, and, uh, and that babies, just like the Roman Catholics say, are to be baptized. They are included in the promise of, of all nations. Uh, and then uh, with Holy Communion, Lutherans teach that, that uh, communion is a sacrament, that when, we, that when uh, the elements are, when elements are consecrated in Holy Communion, when, those, when the words of Christ are used, that uh, Jesus body is present with the bread, that Jesus' blood is present with the wine. We eat and drink for the forgiveness of sins um, and for the strengthening of faith and eternal life and salvation. Uh, the Reformed, they say that baptism is, is just a ritual. Um, it's funny, even while they say it's just a ritual, they say it's only a ritual intended for adults. If it's just a ritual, my thought has always been, what does it matter? Um, the second thing is that, that then with Holy Communion, they say once again, that is just a symbol. Uh, it's, a, it's a ritual. It's a memorial to help us remember what Jesus did. It doesn't give forgivenesses of, forgiveness of sins. Jesus' body and blood are present. And so those are, the, there we have kind of, it gives you an idea of what the differences are there. Some people might say, what's the big deal? Well, here I'm going to summarize it for you again. And somebody might get offended at this. And I'm not trying to offend, but truth is truth. Okay. Uh, with, uh, with the Reformed, all right. They say grace, 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 but, and then comes in that little word that just changes everything that they've just said. And you see that, especially with the sacraments. You know, we're saved by grace through faith alone, but you have to make a decision for Christ. And children can't do that, so therefore God has a different plan of salvation for children. They, he just takes them into heaven. Where they just don't have sin. Okay, then you have Holy Communion, which uh, um, okay, grace, 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 grace. But well, you know, this is just something for 
God does not, you know, that we're we're trying to do communion is something where where we're trying to do something for God, or the, you know, uh, and and once again you see the you see the closet Catholicism in there. Uh, Roman Catholics have closer to a sacrament of Holy Communion in this. Uh, in the Lutheran Confessions, say this: the Roman cat Roman Catholic teaching does not deny the essence of the sacrament. In the fact that they do not they do not remove or deny the presence of Christ's body and blood with the bread and the wine. They add to it, but it doesn't negate the sacrament. That is why I, in my favorite saying from Luther, has always been, I would rather cannibalize with the Pope, and we don't, than to commune with the reform, because here's one that offends people too. The Catholics have a sacrament. In Holy Communion, the Baptists don't. Yes, and, and I think what you were saying there. I mean, and and dear listener, please, that what he said was was really profound, <clears throat> and and he did very very good at keeping a lot of the theological jargon, um, sort of out of out of the the conversation. But what he's saying is is essentially this: um, you have you have um, the Catholic Church in the body and blood of Christ. Uh, or the bread and the wine that that it changes into the body and blood of Christ. For the Lutherans, we believe in the real presence. They're both there, just as Christ has said. Here, take and eat. Here's the bread. Here's my body. Here's the the cup, and here's is, my blood. Is. Right, as Luther says, is means is. And then and then in the Reformed camp, you have you have represents for everything. The baptism represents us making a commitment, and the Lord's Supper represents. Uh, us remembering what God, what what Christ has done for us. One of the things that that I think it, it is is kind of an interesting topic to maybe consider is that <clears throat> Catholicism, in many ways, and 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 Reformed Protestant congregations, non denominational, all those, they kind of they kind of look at the how is Christ present, right? They 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 discuss the they want to discuss the how for the for the reformed the Protestants um, uh, the the non denominationals they rationalize in their head how can he be present he can't because that's an impossibility I can't think it through and the Catholics will say how can he be present because because it's still bread and wine well it must become it must become body and blood and not bread and wine anymore to answer the how and and. Lutherans sort of take it outside of the realm of the how and leave that up to God and leave that into his word and his promise, and we answer the what. What is it that we receive and why, right? The, the what and the why. And, and, that's, and if we put it into the right place, what are we receiving? Body and blood. Why? Because he said so. We're also receiving bread and wine. Why? Because he said so. And we are receiving in baptism. What are we receiving? Forgiveness of sins. All sins. Why? Because he said so. How does it work? I don't know. God said so. And it Luther, seems a simplified. Luther, Luther so, so succinctly explains this, which, and it comes down to why, why we hold baptism and Holy Communion and regard it so highly together with the word. We call it the means of grace. Is because these we believe these things do what the scripture says because of the powerful word of God. And Luther says it this way the same powerful word that God used in creation when he said, Let there be, and things miraculously came to into existence, is the same powerful word that Jesus uses in instituting baptism and in instituting holy communion. There's no difference difference that Jesus the word who was present at communion or at, at, at creation he is that same same powerful word is present in baptism and holy communion so why should it be a problem comprehending that these things do what he says they do well and here is the thing that and especially again we're not just trying to smack the reformed around and Protestants around but the thing it, it really confuses me and, and so I'm looking for an answer. They believe in the, they, they really believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is capable of doing anything, right? That, that's their, their core belief, that God is capable of doing anything. But then comes in that word, that but, and, and I would disagree with you. It's not, it is a small word, but it's a big statement. We like big buts. And, and, and for those of you who know the song, 
you're probably singing that right now. But, you know, we, we like those big butts because we think that they can qualify something that, that we don't understand and, and then and switch the course of what the statements that we say. So a lot of Reformed, a lot of, a lot of Protestants, they'll say, God can do anything, right? And they'll say, God can strike somebody out in the middle of the field, and all of a sudden they'll believe. And God can do this, and God can do that, and, and he, is, he is infinitely able to do anything he, want, he wants. But he can't work through baptism, as he said. But he can't be present in the sacrament of Holy Communion, like he says. So which one is it? Can he do anything he wants? Is he powerful to do? And and not just anything he wants, but especially what he says he will do. Is he powerful enough to do that, or isn't he? And if he isn't, then then is he capable of getting... Is he capable of answering any of the prayers or keeping any of the other promises that he has given to us? Because if he's not capable of keeping his word in those areas, what makes you think he'll keep his word or can keep his word in any other? At our past, at our past Nebraska district pastors conference that we had in Seward a few weeks ago, we had a wonderful conference based on... Uh, um, actually, it was Article 10, if I remember correctly, of, uh, of the Augsburg Confession. Actually, Formula of Concord, I'm sorry. Anyway, but it was based on the person of Christ, Christology. And the whole conference, we dealt with matters like this. There were papers and, and, pre and presentations that were given on this. And it actually, we were talking about this with Holy Communion. And so forth. And this isn't something that just has happened in the last 500 years since the Reformation. It's something that's reared its ugly head throughout the 2000 years of Christianity because it comes actually, when you're asking the question about the Reformed and sovereignty and all this stuff, it comes down to a skewed view of Christology. Big word, but it's basically what does Scripture teach about who Christ is? And when and this has been through 2,000 years of the herd of the Christian church, different little heresies that have reared their ugly heads about uh, uh, concerning Christ. And still you see elements of them in Roman Catholicism, in the Reformed and Reformed Protestant, Protestantism, that also it has a ripple effect and it comes out in especially in Holy Communion. Sure. It comes it, it comes out in other teachings, the teaching of justification by faith, which we were talking about last week. It just oozes out of everything, but it stems from how people what your what your view of Christ is and 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 this. And it comes from a skewed view. And I would agree. Because if you if you if you view Christ as anything less than Lord, I'm one hundred percent Lord and 100% man, as he says he is, then then all of a sudden everything he says and everything he does and all the promises he makes become skewed as well. That That's, yeah. just, the, that's just the reaction of it. Um, for those listeners who are wondering, and, and I, I apologize, we probably should have mentioned it before, and I'm going to blame, I'm going to blame Don for this because he was just, he was just all excited to, to offend somebody today and he wanted to get all that out on, on, and onto the air. Um, but for those who are wondering, what we are dealing with today is, is really the, the articles that deal with the sacraments. And so we're dealing with um, the unaltered Augsburg Confession, Article 13, Article 9, Article 10, and Article 22. And we started with Article 13 because that's the use of the sacraments. The, 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 why do we use them? What's the importance of it? And then you had the, the Article of Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and then, and then also just both kinds, which we'll talk to uh, a little bit later. I would like our dear listeners to understand um, why I'm being kind of snide today. Um, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And, and especially, well, you know what? <laughs> I would like to be able to blame that we, you know, uh, be, you know, trying to adjust to the to daylight savings time. Um, <laughs> but I, I really can't do that. Those who know me know that I always tend to be, or not always, but in certain circles, tend to be a little crass. Uh, but there is a, re a reason for it, and and it's something you know I can remember growing up in. And, and uh, the pastor I had growing up, I always thought he just, I just thought he tended to get a little bit too hard nosed about these things. And the older I get, the more I do. And this is the reason why. And if it makes any sense to you, when I see 
um, our young children go to a reformed vacation Bible school or to a reformed youth activity or, and usually these are things that are called non-denominational. Oh, we're just going to teach the Bible. We're not going to get into church differences. And the first things that they approach our young children with, and they ask them, are you re-baptized as a baby? And when they're told, yes, they're told that then they're told by these people, you're going to hell. And so these important things, especially with baptism, that brings us into God's family, that has brought us into God's family, brought us into the church. And it is really our lifeblood, our breathing, our survival every day of life. And that gets attacked. I'm sorry. I don't want to be profane, but I get peed. Well, and I, w- I wouldn't even go and, and, and yes, agree with that. But just a simple fact that that I think in our own congregation, sometimes we forget the importance of the sacraments themselves. And and then one of the things that I think we forget is that the, that the word works. Yes, the word works. We know the word works. Um, but God didn't just give you his word. He reaches through time and space to in, to interact with you on a very physical, fundamental level. And that's what... That's what the Lord's Supper is. That is what baptism is. God reaching through time and space and, 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 and actually interacting with you in a very physical way to change your life. And, 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 and I'm just, I'm sorry, but anytime you mess with that, it's like you getting in, and, and I'm going to make this illustration and you can just, you can disagree with it, but it's like getting in the way of me and my wife when I want to give her a kiss. If I want to give my wife a kiss and you're going to stand in my way, I'm going to beat the living snot out of you because you have no right to get into my way. That is that is my opportunity to show my wife how much she means to me outside of just words. And, and, and this is what I feel we're doing when we stand in the way of the sacraments, when we stand in the way of the sacraments and we strip them of their power and we strip them of their, uh, of what it is that God has promised them to be. And we run them through the muck and we say, oh, these are just things that we can do to make God happy with us. I want to beat the living tar out of you because what you're doing is you're saying my, my wonderful groom who has married himself to the church cannot approach me to show me in a physical way how much he cares because you have decided, well, you don't need it. I just had a, an epiphany here because that's a wonderful illustration. And I have used a, a modified version of that illustration myself. But when you think about that, once again, it's closet Catholicism because God forbid you get intimate yeah. Because with, with Catholicism in their view, you know, they look at uh, celibacy as being a higher form of Christ, uh, of Christianity. That's just something that rung with me. Again, um, once again, I'm sorry if people feel that, that today that, that, that it feels like church bashing. I do want to reiterate once again, there are believers found in every denomination. I am not attacking believers. Okay, I am attacking false teaching, which erodes and attacks faith. That is that is that is our calling for Pastor Harley and I, uh, and every other confessional Lutheran pastor is not only to point out false teaching, but also to defend the faith and the faithful. Right, and by saying, and and, and honestly, you know, okay, dear listener. I have nothing against small group Bible studies. I have nothing against Sunday Bible studies. I have, I have nothing against taking home your meditations or your portals of prayer or whichever one you decide to read and, and having those, those times around your table with your children. Um, and, and I think those are well and good. I, I do them. I, I think they're important. I've used my own set of, of, um, um, meditation helps and things like that so I could have devotion times with with my wife and my family. But but I just want to say I just want to say one thing that that I think we forget. Word from the pulpit preached by God's called preacher sacrament found in baptism offered at the font 
and the body and blood and bread and wine offered at the altar kept the church ready for you for 2,000 years. That's what fed the church for 2,000 years. They didn't have the, the meditations at home. They didn't have the little Bible apps that read their scripture for them. They didn't have uh, all the little doodads and the, and, the, and the Christian programming that you can have on television. And they didn't have all of the, the, the missionary movements here and the missionary movements there and, and the little groups that you can uh, assemble and say, look at how good we are. They had the word preached from the pulpit. They had... The, the, the word preached in tangible way at the font in baptism, and they had the lifeblood of Christ himself and his body offered and given for the strengthening of his people and the forgiveness of sins from the altar. And it was from the altar that that forgiveness flowed through mom and dad to children. It was from the font that their life was cleansed and changed, and they were reminded every day of something different. Now, I'm not saying all those other things aren't good. I love Bible study. I think it's a great time for conversation. I, I, am, I, am, I am humbled when we gather around the table and my daughter says devotions and, and, and says it's time for devotions before we eat. I am humbled by that. I, I think it's extraordinary, wonderful, extraordinarily wonderful that we have people who are willing to teach Sunday school and, and children who are willing to come and parents who bring them. But let's not kid ourselves, shall we? Let's let's just not kid ourselves. The the sustaining of this this the thing that sustains the church and sustains people. Let's say, would you get give a good estimate? 85, 90% of, of all church going people, the thing that sustains them is word and sacrament from the church proper. Yes. Not a doubt. Not a doubt. Um, you're, you know, you and I, we've had, we've had these personal conversations with each other before. Um, again, uh, again, it, 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 any, any time a person can be around God's word and we have many oppor- more opportunities that, uh, um, today that, uh, our forefathers did not have. Um, we have to look that having a Bible in one's home is really a recent development um, in the 2,000-year history of Christianity, uh, going before that, uh, even in, in uh, you know, in the six to ten thousand-year history of God's people. Okay, that's a long. That I mean, really, uh, uh, the Gutenberg's printing press made the Bible available to people uh, 500 years ago. In their in their native language, starting in Germany, and then that started out with uh, the King James version of English translation of the Bible, and so forth. Uh, in uh, back in sixteen sixteen, if my if my memory serves me correctly, uh, and even then, having a Bible in your home, being able to afford one, was quite a financial equip a, a, a financial, um, a, a, a bur- you know you or, you know, elegance there or whatever, but however just, you want just, to say it. Just pause there for a moment. And, and those are amazing advancements. You're 100% correct. 40% of the population, and that's a little high, 40% of the population knew how to read. Yeah. So would it, I mean, yes. Was it great that we had Gutenberg's Bible? Was it great that, that Luther worked on, on a German Bible? Was it great we had the King James? Absolutely. 40% of the people... In the in the population knew how to read it. We went through these discussions too, just with taking a look at uh, modern Bible translations within the last 10, 12 years here, um, and discussions going on here too, even with the uh, you know the NIV revision, new translations coming out like the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, revisions of the New King James and so forth uh, that. Uh, evangelical heritage version, which many of our churches use, the e, uh, the English Standard Version, which uh, our counterparts in the Missouri Synod uh, use, uh, you know, and it, and discussion comes with because trying to come up with the translation and actually isn't isn't the the trend or the reading level or comprehension level that we look at for for an English for a Bible translation is around 
the third and fourth grade reading level? Yeah, high end would be fifth grade. Um, I think they ranked the ESV was ranked at at uh, almost a high 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 school college, and that was too high for yeah. the majority of people. And uh, uh, but it brought up a discussion among uh, among many pastors and so forth too about you know it, it brought out when you were here in our area discussion among uh, pastors out here was really how many people are reading the Bible in their home? You know, everybody's got a Bible. Yeah. How, how much is it being read? And when it's not being read, why is it not being read? And, and it brought up, it brought up questions. Are people not reading it because it's too difficult or maybe that's one reason. Maybe it's probably a whole hodgepodge of reasons. Uh, uh, maybe it's because it's too difficult. A lot of it is I've noticed, going to bring maybe bring up a tender spot here in confirmation class i have taught confirmation class now for 33 years um and i find in 33 years a decreased reading ability among the majority of my students uh really being able to read well um and to comprehend what they're reading well and 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 sometimes it's not even comprehending i mean it's one of those things where, where you can have a student, you could have a person who could read the words of the scriptures and they can look at it and say, okay, this is what it says, but they they can't internalize what is it saying. You know, it 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 almost is like sucked into a void and they're just the words. Um, you know, it it, it they can't they can't make the application from what they're reading to everyday life. They can't make the application from what they're reading to the hope and comfort that they should be getting or, or have. Um, I mean, they can easily take offense, um, right? You usually can find anything to take offense, but when it comes to the hope and comfort that you'd have, that, that you, you sort of lose that in the translation, um, and they just sort of get words. I don't know how many, you've been in classes where the people, you'll read something and, and they'll say, but I don't understand it. You know, what, what does it mean? They know the words. You can break down the words, but they don't know what it means. They they don't they don't have the connection to their everyday life and to their to their their walk with their Lord. Um, and so that's why meditations, you know, and I'll be the first to I'll be the first to say it. People people gravitate to the meditations. People gravitate to to uh, uh, devotional books. People gravitate to like the people's Bible or, or things of that nature, because they want to be told, what does this mean? Luther had it right in the catechism when he would give, and he went back to the church, he used the 10 commandments. He had the, the teachings of, of, of baptism and the, and, and uh, the Lord's supper confession on uh, the articles. And he followed it up with, what does this mean? In fact, in the first, in the first catechism, he also included pictures because he realized a lot a vast majority of them, wouldn't be able to read. And so they, he also taught with pictures to help associate with um, what it was being taught. And, and so he understood that. But this reality of, of even back then with Luther, and it's appropriate we talk about him since we just celebrated the Reformation, but, but you know, even with Luther, there was the understanding of a lot of these people will not be thinking theologically. They're not going to be thinking spiritually. They're, they're going to be thinking Give me the answers. Tell me what I what I need to know. Um, I was I was told a while ago, and I think maybe you were as well, that um, for your own personal Bible, you shouldn't have a Bible a self study Bible. That for your own personal Bible, it should be just a regular Bible with just God's Word in it, not a study Bible. Not saying that study Bibles aren't good, but that they said that your everyday reading Bible. If you're one of the listeners that reads their Bible every day, your everyday reading Bible should not be a self-study Bible. And the reason behind it was that when you have a self-study Bible, you always look not to God's word, but you're always gravitating to the bottom and saying, what's the commentary on it, right? What, what does someone else say instead of wrestling with God's word yourself? And, and I think that's where we have lost our way in some ways, because it wasn't until recently that we had our actually our own self-study Bible. 
And I'm going to give credit to the LCMS in, in this one. They came out with the Lutheran Self-Study Bible. Um, I know we're working on one with the EHV as well. Where, where predominantly we, you know, we were relying on self-study Bibles from Reformed circles. And you'd get to the parts with baptism, you get to the parts with, with the Lord's Supper, and they cast doubt on what these things do. It, you know, get it, get in wonderful, wonderful points, bringing it to drive, to drive home the point once again, for years, once again, for the vast majority of time, God's people have gathered and, 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 and wor worship has always affected the census. Okay. You know, people didn't have the Bible in their home. Christian or believers got together um, and God's word was expounded in the temple. It was, it was uh, through the sacrificial system and, and using sight, smell, sound, um, touch, um, all of that. Um, you look at this, the, the, you got into synagogue worship and once when there was no temple. And so it went to, 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 to God's word being read, um, explained, um, you know, and once again, really that, that's the, that's our pattern of worship, our, our pattern of worship today. The point was Christians gathered around, Christian gathered around word and sacrament together. They didn't have Bibles in their, for the vet, they didn't have, they didn't have Bibles in their homes to hear God speak to them. They met where God's people gathered to hear God speak. And, and I just, I just had this weird thought, but how connecting is it communion the lord's supper and that very tactile old testament sacrifice i mean i i just i'm i'm sorry it just got me thinking about it how 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 much they connect because what you had is you had these families that were coming they'd come to the temple and the priest would sacrifice right on their behalf they would sacrifice for them and they would sacrifice this this animal, and then the family would feast on it, the one slain for them. That was part of the that was part of the sacrifice that they would feast on the one slain for them. How how much more connecting can you get as as in the Lord's Supper we are given in body and, and bread and wine the body and blood of Christ that that we we now are are. Are feasting on the one sacrificed for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When 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 John said those words, people understood what was going on. Go back to the Passover. They would they feasted on the Lamb whose blood covered the lintel doors, the, the the door frame, so that they would not die and the angel of death would pass over. They feasted on that sacrifice. They feasted on that Lamb who saved them. You know, I noticed. Uh... Um, you know, just I, I think maybe to, to drive some of these things home and look at it as we're talking about the difference and we're emphasizing the positive here, which is which is a wonderful thing. But coming back to the sacraments once again, um, I just have a little a thought provoking um, statement here. Um, how can the non how can the non Lutheran points of view about the sacraments actually be damaging to one's faith. Why is it important to understand the sacraments rightly? And maybe let's let let's discuss just a little bit here. How can a how does a wrong how is a wrong viewpoint on the sacraments damaging to faith? Well, I mean, let I mean, you just start on the face value, shall we? Um and and coming back to the the idea that um, reformed Protestant side of it. If if you believe God can do all things, but then deny how He works when He where He promised to work, um, you you erode your faith. You you erode your faith in saying, "Where else did He lie to me?" That that's that's really the 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 connecting correlation, right? The connecting correlation is okay. If God says, "Take and eat, take and drink for the forgiveness of sins." Oh, but it doesn't give me the real forgiveness of sins. And when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, but it's really not his body and blood, where else did he lie? Did he lie when he says it is finished on the cross? 
Did he lie when he said, this is my son whom I love? Um, listen to him. Did he lie when, when, when he said, you have little faith? And, and he says, uh, and then he strengthens him and go and says, go and sin no more. Did he really say, oh, doesn't mean don't sin no more. Just go and do whatever you want. Where does he lie? You know, at, at what point did he lie? The other thing is, is when you, when you have a misconception of the sacrament of, of baptism, here's where I've always thought it. When you start saying that God is not the author and perfecter of our faith, and I and, and those were Luther's words, right? Um, that he's taken from the scriptures, author and perfecter of our faith. Who is? Who is the author then and the perfecter of? Because if God is not the one who is the author, then someone else has to be. And no one else is worthy enough to. And if God is the author, then can he author can he author it in any way he wants? And I think those are some of the those are on the on the I just as I, I approach it on the face value of denying the sacraments, those are the, some of the questions you start having to ask yourself. Well then if God is the author and perfecter, but he can't author it in this way, well then is he really the author? Luther always liked to bring it back to God's word once again. Uh, I know I'm, I'm mixing confessional, Lutheran confessional documents here, um, but I can't help but think because I think one of, one, of, uh, the clear, one of the clearest explanations and most beautiful and logical explanations of infant baptism comes from Luther's large catechism. And I'm just going to briefly summarize out of it, but it comes back to the word. Uh, Luther mentions about how the Reformed like to, to say, okay, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Christian, many Christians were screwed up about this long before the Reformation. And that that was never really God's, it was, it was never Christ's teaching or whatever. Uh, this is something that the Reformed like to say, too, about Catholics. Um, and when it comes down to, when they tell you if you're baptized as an infant, you're going to hell, they mean it. Um, they actually they actually believe, okay, uh, when, when it comes down to it, they actually believe that, that, that there are no Christians to be found in Roman Catholicism. This is kind of the vantage point that Luther comes from in the large catechism on infant baptism. He says, look at this. He says, um, all the, the, all, uh, he said, if, if infant baptism wasn't, if infant baptism was wrong, he said, God cannot bless anything that goes against his word. And scripture is clear that God will not bless anything that goes against his word. And so that would have meant that from the time of Christ, up until the time of Reformation, there would have been no believers, none. Right. Um, and uh, and and so and so he's he, you know and once again he pointed he pointed out that uh, uh, that uh, all you know that that uh, even the reformers they were baptized as they were baptized as, as infants. Not, I mean, when I'm talking about the Reformers, men like Calvin and Zwingli, the run, ones who were attacking infant baptism, he was basically telling them, if you take your log, own logic to the conclusion, you wouldn't be a believer now. Right. Well, and that, and that makes a lot of sense if you think about it, because if what, what preserved, maybe our and listeners... And Christ's promise... The gates of hell will never prevail against my church. Right, and let let's maybe take it a step back. What what were the things that preserved the the Old Testament church? Maybe maybe our listeners need a maybe need some some background to see what you're saying. Where where this promise and and these sacraments are are even somewhat seen and foreshadowed in in the Old Testament. So what preserved what preserved the Old Testament church? Circumcision, right, and 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 circumcision then taken over, replaced by 
baptism, Bapt- which which the Lord says is the circumcision of the heart. So you have you have you have circumcision given at eight days. Um, this is you are now in a physical way a part of this kingdom. You're a part of this this promise. This is yours in a very physical way. Um, what else preserved the Old Testament church? The sacrificial system. Right, which foreshadowed Christ. Always foreshadowed the one who would give his lifeblood for the sins of all. Uh, and so you have these two promises that, that were vital within the Old Testament church that kept them alive. So much so that when they couldn't have it, they went, they, they mourned and they screamed and they cried um, when, when this was removed from them right, uh, in Babylon, and they said, we cannot worship, what are we going to do? It would be better for us to die um, because they were removed from, from that. Now, I, I just have to say this because it's been bothering me a little bit. We've been talking about the richness of the, of, of the sacraments. During this whole COVID mess, that is the one thing I have not heard from, from, from Christian believers. I miss the sacrament. Oh, you haven't heard that? That was that Not, was something that was was rampant out here. Again, you know, people were going, "What? What about the sacrament? What about the sacrament?" And you and know, maybe I maybe I just wasn't listening, or people weren't saying it to me. But it, it's one of the things that that you know they missed the social aspect of church. They missed the singing in church. They missed the playing of the organ in church. They missed, but. But you know, just saying, the thing I missed the most was the sacrament. I missed, I missed having God's body and blood. We had a few, uh, we had a few of our congregations um, in the Nebraska district, and and I had heard the, some other in some other places uh, um, in the United States with for, with the, affiliated with our synod, where uh, they were doing online communion. And uh, we actually had to pull some reins back on that. Um, once again, that was something that was actually being, it got, when, when, once it got started among a select few churches, um, and it wasn't a hassle, it was, they stopped it. But, the, but it was discouraged, heavily discouraged by our synodical leadership for this fact that, uh, um, that doing online can raise a lot of questions and a lot of doubt in the minds of people to whether it's a valid way to do things. And with gospel, gospel is always mentioned, always meant to assure and remove doubt, not to create it. And right. so it was heavily discouraged not to do online, online communion. And and that is a good that was a good practice. Uh, but it, I, I think once again, like you, like we said in this whole part of the conversation, is is you know this is the lifeblood of the congregation. This is the this is this is the working of faith, the preserving of faith, the strengthening of faith, um, the forgiveness of sins. Um, this is gospel. This is gospel work in its finest form. Um, and and these two these two things are so easily thrown away within the church. Um, I, I think that was that's just you know. They are so easily thrown away. Can I throw, uh, uh, you know, taking as I'm looking at our time here, I know we're limited, but maybe without, I don't want to, I don't want it just to seem to be like that we're hammering away at the reformed here um, or, or the Catholic, you know, or, or hammering away at the Catholics. Uh, as we're looking at Holy Communion and what it is, I, I mean, I've been surprised by a few things um, in my adult life, um, about 10 years ago, well, over 10 years ago, I was dating a young, uh, dating a lady who was, uh, who was a Baptist. Um, anyway, long story short, don't need to know all the details of how I ended up. Uh, I went to worship with her at one of the churches she was attending on a Saturday evening. Um, they had Holy Communion. Well, no, they didn't have Holy Communion, but they thought they were. But that's, I'll get to this in a second. Um, we as were there. She says, are you going to take communion? And I said, no. And she goes, why not? And I said, because I'm not a member of your congregation and you guys don't teach 
what scripture does about Holy Communion. Though this is going on during the service, and she says, well, I don't understand. I said, now is not the place where we're going to get this hashed out. So anyway, she goes and takes communion, and uh, I know up, up, up when she goes up to the altar, they have a loaf of Wonder Bread, and then they have communion. They have they have the communion trays with the individual cups, and she goes up and takes you know takes communion. Unleavened the, the leavened bread, the Wonder Bread didn't that didn't bother me, um, you know. And I just said never seen that, and then and then. Uh, and then she said it was good. She said it was good apple juice, and I said, "You mean grape juice, which is what, which is what uh, um, Baptists are usually known for?" And she says, "No, we get apple juice here." I said, "You, I'm going." I. She goes, "Why are you so confused?" I can see the confused look in your face. I said, "Not even remotely close to what Jesus used," and she says, "Well, that doesn't matter." And I'm going, I said, and then you asked me why I wouldn't come to communion. Yeah. Yeah. When they, when they reject even, even what the Lord would have used. Yes. And say, well, uh, it doesn't matter. And, and my point is, was with this is when you, when you, when you when you when your viewpoint of the sacrament is that it's not a sacrament it's not a gift from jesus it's not a means of grace these are things that are going to happen in your practice it's going your practice is always going to reflect your theology somehow sure but you know what and and that was a and 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 what you said was was the bad side of what could happen um, yes, but I want to share. I'm going to share uh, a story, and this is the story of uh, of my wife when when we met. Um, you know, we had met. She was UCC, uh, which is United Church of Christ. Um, they did not have wine. They had they had grape juice, um, and they had a loaf of bread. That's what they used for communion. Um, and I remember before we got married, we were having conversations, and I said, you know, uh, we don't believe. The same, I said, I don't believe the same thing. The Lutherans don't believe the same thing that UCC does when it comes to, to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And she says, well, what do you believe? And I said, it is the real presence. God says it is the bread and wine, and it is also body and blood, um, that it is, it is in, with, and under in this, this mysterious way that God only knows. And she said, yeah, that's what I believe. And I said, well, what do you mean that's what you believe? She goes, that's what it says. When when they stand up there, when when the pastor is standing up there and we're getting ready for communion, he reads from the scriptures and it says, this is my body, this is my blood. And she goes, I pretty much thought that's what it is. And I said, I, I, I said to her, I said, well, I love you because you actually got it right. But I said, that's not what your church teaches. And she says, well, that's not what I believed and they were wrong. So, I mean, it can happen where there are, and thankfully there are many people that are like that, right. That, that shows you the power of God's word. My word will not return to me empty. Right. And, but I think we do have to put out the, this caution, which is, is something why we in the, in the, in the Lutheran church, and, and maybe this is a good, a good spot for us to, to, to end on this note with the caution, um, not because it's not good to end on the gospel, but a, a caution is warranted. We have to realize baptism is for all people. Baptism is for, for all people. It is, it is to bring you into uh, the kingdom of God through the washing uh, uh, of water and the word and the working of the Holy Spirit who creates faith. Communion is for those who are properly prepared, who can, who can reflect upon themselves and their need for, for forgiveness and, um, and one of the things that, here's the caution, here's the caution. The reason why we have close communion, and I say close, not closed, close communion in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod is because when we celebrate the sacrament, everyone who comes to the table receives Christ's body and blood and bread and wine. And if you are coming thinking that it is not what it is, and that it, this is just a show, and that this is just something, haha, funny, funny, or whatever the case may be, you are singing you are you are directly sinning against Christ himself and and so 
when you do come for communion, as the scriptures say, he, he, there is no, the, I know we try to split hairs and we say, oh, but it's only the body and blood of Christ when it's taken by the believer. It never says that. Scripture never says that. Oh, but it only turns into the body and blood of Christ when it's given in the hands of a believer. Never says that. That That's not a thing. When, when the bread and wine is consecrated and used for the holy purpose of, of holy communion, it is in, with, and under the body and blood of Jesus Christ for all who gather to receive. And, and you can take it to your harm. You can take it to your harm if you, if you do not recognize that. And that's why we practice close communion, why it's such an important thing, because this is God who has promised he will be here. Not just for the believers, but he will be here for everyone. And that has been the traditional practice of in Christianity for two thousand years. It's not. It's not. It. It is not. That is not a new addition to a recent addition to Christianity. In fact, it's only open communion has only been. It actually, it's only been something that is really. It's 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 a let's put it this way it's an it's a it's a negative byproduct of American Christianity. Well, it's that negative byproduct of not understanding Christology. Um, it's it's the negative byproduct of of saying everybody everybody is a theologian, right? Um, you give everybody a self study Bible, you give everybody uh, um, um, a meditation book, and everybody becomes a theologian. And and they all think they know, you know. Roman Catholic practice, Roman Catholic teaching. I'm not going to say practice. Roman Catholic teaching has has always been and has not changed. If you are not Catholic, you are not to participate in taking communion in taking taking uh, the bread. Um, and they will announce that if, if that that. Uh, that uh, holy that, uh, that that holy communion is only open for Roman Catholics. Yep. Now, most of the time, they don't know who who is Roman Catholic or not. Um, but that that is their that is their teaching. Um, that is something that is uh, uh, to confessional Lutheranism for the most part. Um, and actually, until probably about a little over a hundred years ago was the practiced among the reformed it was methodists practiced that up until yeah. early 1900s yes and then it's really something really a recent development in christianity that has taken that has taken place in north america yeah yeah and, and then it's to, and then it's the and 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 what it's become is um I'm offended at the church for not letting me when really yeah. the church is trying to, to give you an opportunity to learn an opportunity to protect you um, so that you aren't harmed and, and really give an opportunity to share what we've always tried to share, which is Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, this is, this is an important thing for, for them, for, for our people um, and, and for the church itself. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, the sacrament, the, the, Hey, baptism and the Lord's Supper, important, important, important for, for the lifeblood of the church, important for us to discuss and understand and, and to really embrace. What else do you have in the last couple of minutes before we our hour's up? You know, once once again, these are, I, uh, let, you know, I think it'd be good to finish on, on, on your illustration that, that you made. I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to embellish upon it a little bit. Um, God has made, God created us. As, as he, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He has made us, created us with five senses for a purpose um, because he created us to have a relationship with him. And through, and through Christ, he, he reestablishes that relationship with us. He's given us five senses to have that relationship. In the sacraments, he utilizes all of those senses. Yeah. Um, it is a wonderful thing for, to, for my wife to tell me, I love you. But you know something? It sure means a whole lot more when I get a warm embrace and a kiss. Yep. 
Yeah. Holy communion is God's not only telling is not is not is Jesus not only telling you I love you, it is also Him giving us His hug. Absolutely, and I've used and that illustration. Once again, how dare anyone get in between me and Him? Absolutely, and and what a beautiful way to 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 say that is, and I like how you brought that up, and and just maybe to alliterate that a little bit better or a little bit more. Why would we have our five senses if God was only going to use the one? Yes. I mean, God could have created us with just the sense of hearing, and that's all we would have needed. And what and 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 what does that say to the poor deaf person? Right. Who yearns for something more? Yes. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. And and let's face it, it's also for the person who who, you know, um, the deaf person who can't hear or the person who's blind and can't see. Yes. They, they all yearn for something more. They, they yearn to see the Lord. Um, the one who came and, and, and begged he couldn't see and the Lord spit into the mud and wiped it on his eyes and he was able to see. And the one he touched his ears and he was able to hear. Um, you know, these are the, these are, the Lord touches us and interacts with all of our senses um, so that we are fully engaged in his kingdom. Um, and we grow in his kingdom. And, and that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It really is. So next week, new ordinances and good works, right? We flow right from, from grace and, and the working of faith into uh, how, does it, how does it play out in, in everyday life. Um, so uh, that'll be a good conversation on, on new ordinances and, and uh, good works. So dear listener, if you want to prep yourself, Article 6 and Article 20, of the unaltered Augsburg Confession, and uh, we'll be tackling that pretty much. I, I would say next week. Any last, any last words that you want to share? Uh, I think I've offended enough. <laughs> All right. Well, with those last words of offense, um, I take great offense too. We will depart and see you next week. <laughs>